Hello, I am Charles Musgrove, the host of the Answers That Count podcast. Welcome back for another great show. Hey, before we get started, do me a favor, please. Hit the subscribe button. That'll help more people out there find out about our show. More people need to know about the stuff that we're, we're talking about. So we're, we're providing the answers to the questions that you're asking. So today we have one of the show favorites. We have Professor Joe Calhoun back with us today. Welcome back to the show, Professor Joe. And we have to hey, say, it's great to be with you. Not, Always not, a pleasure, Charles. Awesome. Not only are you a professor, you're an economics professor. So, and we're going to talk about one of our favorite subjects. We're going to talk about economics and what what are we looking at in the news today? So, there's there's a couple of points that we're reading about, we're we're seeing, and we're actually feeling it in our pocketbook. So, let's talk. Let's start with the unemployment numbers. You know, there's a lot of chatter right now. Every time we we turn on the TV, watch the news, or we read the newspaper, social media, we see where, heck, if we just go out shopping, we see where employers, retail shops, restaurants, they're looking for employees. They've got help wanted stickers posted everywhere. But yet when we look at the unemployment numbers that are posted by the federal government, unemployment is still high. So it looks like, I mean, this kind of a contrast. We have High unemployment, but yet the demand for employees to work is high also. So help us out with understanding that. Yeah, it's a really awkward position when you think about the labor market. So the labor market are is comprised of two kinds of people, suppliers and demanders, just like any other market. But in a labor market, the businesses, the employers are in the demand curve. And the employees, like you and me, are in the supply curve. And the interaction is going to create the market. Now, under normal circumstances, when you've got a bunch of we're hiring signs out there, you have a whole bunch of applicants go in there, and the employee and the employer agreed for a job. Well, it's very awkward and very frustrating today where, like you said, we've if you drive by most businesses, especially restaurants, it right. seems like when I drive up and down the road, every restaurant in town has got a sign out in front saying, now hiring. And some of them are offering some sign-on bonuses and some, some very nice salaries. But yet, when you walk in there as a customer – you kind of look around and go, well, where are all the workers? I, right, you know, I'm right. trying to get some things. And I was at a, a fast food restaurant last night, took my kids out for a quick dinner, and we thought we were going to sit inside, but the restaurant only had uh, very limited hours around lunchtime. And my suspicion is that they simply didn't have enough people to open up for longer periods of time. So you're seeing some really unusual things happen right now. So uh, let's see if we can explore this a little bit. And the first thing I want to do is is go over a few definitions, because one of the most common mistakes that people make when they're talking about unemployment is they think if somebody's not working, they're automatically unemployed. And that's not the case. So we need to make sure everybody understands some basic definitions and how this works. So first of all, the unemployment rate and all the other statistics are uh, reported and calculated once a month. The gross domestic product is reported once a quarter. The, the inflation and the unemployment numbers are reported every month. So typically the first Friday of every month uh, or very early in a month, the previous month is reported. So let's get the common mistake out of the way, first of all. 
you are not necessarily unemployed if you're not working. Meaning you're not in the unemployment percentage numbers? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so what the, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics does it, when they're trying to identify these people is they, um, they, they call people or they identify people. They ask them a bunch of questions in terms of trying to figure out where they are. So if you are a person who's not working, but you don't want to work, in other words, you have no interest in finding a job. So a full-time student, a retiree, those would be the, the most classic uh, kinds of characteristics of people who are not working, but they're also not unemployed. We would put them in a category called not in the labor force. Okay. Does that also mean that they are not receiving unemployment compensation from the state? That's true. Okay. Yes. So you're not receiving unemployment compensation from the, the state benefits. Uh, you're not actively seeking a job. You don't want a job. You're very happy doing whatever it is that you're doing right now. Again, full-time student retirees are the two classic examples. So those people are not in the unemployment rate. In order to be in the unemployment rate, in order to be classified as unemployed by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you have to be willing to work, able to work, and actively seeking a job. That okay. means you have to be out there applying, whether it's in person or m many of these digital job boards. You have to be doing something that very overtly suggests that you want to work. You got to be filling out applications and you know, pay, you know, uh, beating the street, so to speak, in terms of out there walking around. And then you're considered in the labor force, but you're unemployed. And then the other part of the labor force is you actually have a job. So right. the, the labor force is defined as the unemployed people plus the employed people. Okay. That's okay. the denominator in the mathematical calculation. The numerator in that calculation is the number of people unemployed. So you take the unemployed in the numerator divided by the unemployed plus the employed. That's the labor force. And that's how we come up with the percentage for the unemployment rate. That's the unemployment now, rate. If you can, show, show that picture uh, that I sent to you about the uh, historical unemployment rate. There's an important point that I want to bring out here. So as people look at this graph, what I want you to do is look very carefully at the vertical gray bars there. Those are the periods where the economy has officially been in a recession. Okay. And the blue line that bounces around is the unemployment rate. Now, if you look very carefully, the blue line always peaks after the recession is officially over. Right. Now, in a way, that seems a little counterintuitive. You're like, okay, the recession is officially over. The economy is growing strong. Why would the unemployment rate continue to rise for a little while after the recession is over? That, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But Again, you have to go back to the definition of not in the labor force and unemployed. Mm -hmm. and, and once you understand that, then it's pretty easy to understand why the unemployment rate peaks after the recession is over. Because it's a, now it's a lag, lagging, lagging indicator. Yeah, it, it's a lag, but, but why does it lag? Well, let's just kind of role play through an individual that during the recession – there are very few jobs available. And at some point, some of those people just give up. They say, okay, you know what? There, there's no good jobs out there. Nothing I want to do. I'm either going to stop looking or 
uh, I, I'm just going to um, just sit at home for a little while. So we move them to not in the labor force. Right. So then the economy gets better. The recession is officially over and things are improving. Well, okay. Now I get off the couch. I start looking for a job, but it takes a little while for me to find the job that I want. There's always a search process. Right. So now all those people go from not in the labor force to in the labor force, but unemployed. It takes a while for them to find their job. And that's the reason that unemployment rate spikes a little bit right after the recession is officially over because these people are moving from one category to another and the calculation is much different when they're not in the labor force they're also not in the unemployment rate right when they move from not in the labor force to in the labor force but unemployed now that number goes up for a little while but then they find jobs the economy continues to go strong and then that unemployment rate falls. Right. So what you've got is when they get off the couch and they enter the workforce, so you have an increase in both the numerator and the denominator. At the point yes. that they enter the workforce, they're unemployed, so they're in the numerator. They're also in that denominator. But that does continue to create that increase in the unemployment rate until they become employed. And then that number drops is what we're seeing in that blue line that, that uh, darts yeah. around on the chart. Yeah. Yeah. So now the, the, the interesting thing that's happening today, and I think this is really nuanced. I, I think there's multiple reasons why that unemployment rate is not dropping. Because if you look around, many businesses are now saying, hey, I'm ready to go, but I can't because I don't have the workers. Right. So now, as I mentioned earlier, this is a very awkward situation. And I think it's going to be awkward for several more months. This isn't going to resolve itself very quickly, but I think you've got a variety of factors that are in play right now. Number one, you clearly have government policy. Right, and, right. And I don't want to assign a percentage to this because I, I just don't have the data to suggest, but clearly a part of the reason is government policy. And this is very simple human behavior. If the government increases unemployment benefits, and right now we've got the, the normal benefits plus another 300 through the most recent version of the CARE Act and, and uh, the, the um, so-called stimulus plan that Congress and President Biden put into play. So you've got bigger and more unemployment benefits than you had before. Well, simple behavioral response, if you pay people not to do something, they won't do it. Right. In this case, if you pay people more money not to work, they're not going to work. And they're going to collect that extra 300. They're going to collect their unemployment benefits for a longer period of time. So government policy is clearly part of the reason here. But I think there's some other important reasons as well. In, in some states, you still have a lot of child care issues. Right. Now, in, in Florida, it's not the case because we've uh, most of our schools are open and, and operating under normal conditions. But if you look around the country, you've got a lot of states where their kids are still at home. Well, if you're a parent and your kids are at home, it makes it very difficult to either go back to your job or go from not in the labor force to start looking for a job. So there's childcare issues. 
then whether you're vaccinated or not, you might be reluctant to go to work at a place like a restaurant, fast food place where there's lots of people around. That's right. You might still be a little nervous about COVID. Uh, Obviously, we've got a lot of confusion about the mask mandates. You know, can I, can't I, should I, shouldn't I? Uh, so people are just a little confused right now and they're like, well, okay, confusion doesn't lead to any long-term stability. So you may have some people who are not engaging in the labor force until some of the rules are better defined or they're more comfortable or they simply understand them. So I, I think you've got a lot of human behavior psychology issues that are in play here as well. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it's, uh, as, you're, as you're describing that, and we all see the the news reports where where the employers they're blaming the the unemployment checks and how much people are being paid for not working. Uh, we see the child care issues, and there's a couple of I'm a I'm a student of of Professor Joe. So as a student of Professor Joe, I think back to some of our previous lessons where you've talked about two things: incentives matter, mm-hmm. and government intervention, and you have unintended consequences when that happens. So. The incentives matter is we're, we basically have incentivized people not to work. They're getting paid close to what they would get paid if they work for, for not working. Uh, and then, yeah, we, I mean, that, that's simple behavior as well. So, I right. mean, if I gave Charles, if I gave you a choice, stay home and sit on the couch and I'll pay you just as much, maybe even more than what it would take for you to go to work for 30 or 40 hours a week, what are you gonna do? Are you you gonna go expend that 30 or 40 hours of energy and get the same paycheck you could as opposed to staying home and doing nothing? Well, I'm staying home and doing nothing if the pay is gonna be the same, or even if it's just a little bit less. I mean, let's suppose that I could get get 90% of my paycheck by staying home and doing nothing. Well. You know, I'm not inherently lazy, but I'd rather do less work versus more work. So right. if you're going to pay me about the same amount to stay home, I'm staying home. Yeah, that's those incentives matter. And the other is the the government intervention. When we talk about the child care, uh, the child care issues, that's a real issue. And, you know, that was there was a there was a lot of discussion of that early on in the covid lockdown, where regardless of what state you were in, you know, probably the, the entire United States was shut down for at least a small period of time. And the, the child care issue was, was real when states started to open back up, when communities started to open back up. And again, that's, that's government intervention requiring those shutdowns and those lockdowns. Well, there's an unintended consequence if you have restricted activity at businesses that, okay, what are you going to do with the kids or if the schools aren't open? So if the schools aren't open, that has a that has a negative effect on people going back to work. Sure, sure. When when Florida was in uh, more of a lockdown, when when the kids were required to stay at home, I had a lot of my colleagues who personally were willing to come to campus and do their jobs. They weren't afraid of of getting COVID, and and they weren't afraid of being on campus, but. They couldn't come on campus because they had little kids at home. Right. And the little kids were, weren't able to go to school. So mom and dad said, well, if the kids have to stay home, then I have to stay home. Right. So it really created some havoc in the labor market in terms of if I'm an employer, I want to be sensitive to my employees. I don't want to get real heavy handed and say, you got to come into work because then I'm really creating problems at home because those employees would have had to find some other kind of childcare, which would have been expensive. 
in order for them to leave their kids at home to come to work. So for a while, you know, we were all at home, but then when the kids were allowed to go back to school and then mom and dad were allowed to go back to work if, if they chose. Now in a lot of other States, that's still not the case, right? right. Kids are still forced to be at home. Right. Well, you force, you know, fifth graders to stay at home. You're almost forcing mom and dad to stay at home as well. And, and that's really creating problems in some other states. Again, thankfully, not so much in Florida, but other states, it's a real bigger problem. Yeah, it's a real issue. One other thing before we get off the, the unemployment is there for uh, a period of time, and I think this may still be the case in, in many of the states, you don't have, in order to get unemployment, you don't have to show proof that you're searching for employment. Uh, I know that that's always been a requirement, at least here in Florida before COVID. And I'm not sure. I know that there was legislation introduced. I don't know if it passed, but where where Florida was was uh, they were reverting back to the old policy where you had to show proof of attempts to become employed in order to get unemployment. Yes, I for, I forget the the date that that goes into effect. It, it it's it's either right now or it's coming up within uh, a couple of days, uh, maybe by the end of May. Uh, but our governor did put that rule back in place that if you're going to collect unemployment benefits from the state, you have to show proof that you're out applying for jobs. And right. you're right, that was waived for many months which again, distorted some decision-making, but that's okay. You know, sometimes uh, you need to allow for those distortions when you've got a global pandemic. Uh, that's maybe a pretty good reason, uh, but our governor just put that rule back into place. And again, I forget exactly when it's going to be effective, but it's very soon. It might be uh, in place just uh, within the last couple of days. Yeah, that's good to see. Um, and and I, I don't know about other states, whether that is in there. I suspect that that was waived in many other states as well. Yeah, I believe it was, um, but I have seen other states where they're they're looking at taking action similar to that so again that's going to hopefully curtail the the negative incentive the incentive not to work so it'll at least reduce some of that incentive uh, where people now they have to show that they're trying to get employment yeah yeah so my prediction is that the unemployment rate is still going to bounce around it's not going to uh, follow a normal pattern. Uh, you don't have to pull it back up. But again, if you look back at the unemployment rate after the recession is over, the unemployment rate spikes a little bit and then it steadily comes down. My prediction is uh, we're dealing with so many different behavioral factors here, government policy and non-government policy, that our unemployment rate is going to act in a very abnormal way for the next four or five months where we're going to see some, some great improvements. The unemployment rate will come down and then some other things will happen. It might jump back up a little bit. So it's not going to follow that that normal downward steady trend is probably going to be bouncing around a little bit because this is a very unusual situation. We're not just recovering from a regular recession in terms of a decline in economic activity. This pandemic is really much different than anything we've seen before. Yeah, it's really crazy. So let's, um, before we run out of time, I, I want to touch on uh, something that is also in the news and something that, that Usually when we talk about it on air, you, you provide more of a, a calming effect to the discussion, but we have talked about for months the possibility of inflation. You know, is mm -hmm. inflation going to happen? I think I was probably saying I'm probably like most people and, and we're seeing inflation happen. We're living that. We go to the gas pump. We go to the grocery store. We go to the restaurants. We live and we are paying more now than we were earlier. 
So yeah. even when, I mean, we were feeling the effects of that, even when the government was saying there, inflation is not a big deal. We can slow this down if it does happen, but it's not happening. Well, it is happening. So it is happening. What, Absolutely. We what are do the numbers in tell us? What are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, so if you look at just the last month, uh, we had a 0.8%. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but again, that's just for one month. So let's look at the most recent 12 months. Uh, and keep in mind that the Fed's publicly stated target inflation rate is 2%. So that's kind of like their report card, right? If you're going to be a teacher and you need to assign grades, you, you give a grading scale. This is an A and this is a B. And then students are evaluated on that. Everything suggests that inflation is going to be higher in the next few months, not lower. And, and we, we've got lots of macro and monetary related models uh, that historically have been very good predictors for us. And based on all those models, we expect inflation to increase. Now, exactly how much is subject to a lot of different debate and interpretation, but uh, most economists are predicting an increase in inflation. However, now again, this is where the, uh, hopefully there's a little bit of good news, is those models are based on a certain economic set of conditions that really don't apply today. Those models were never built around a global pandemic and they weren't built around the kinds of fiscal and monetary policy responses to a global pandemic. So uh, you have to kind of take that with a, with a grain of salt, so to speak, in terms of our traditional models were never built around any kind of uh, virus health-related set of conditions. So now we've got old models with a new set of variables and people, as we talked about earlier, are responding to this virus-related set of policies from the government in really unusual ways and ways that we never could have predicted before. So we do need to be a little bit careful about relying on those old models going forward because we know a lot of things are different. Yeah, the, the and, bad thing about that is it is different and we've not lived through, at least you and I have not lived through a pandemic like a global pandemic like that in, in the past. Right. However, the people that are pulling the triggers on the decisions on how to counteract this inflation, they've not gone through this either. So it's kind exactly. of, a, it's kind of yeah. a new set of rules on how they should respond to it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of making stuff up as we go and hopefully we're doing it right. I mean, we, we all have the greatest intentions. I, I know the fed doesn't want inflation. It's part of their mandate, you know, low and steady inflation is, is what they're, all about so they're they're not intentionally doing it so we can wipe that incentive away there's right. there's no reason for any politician whether you're in congress or anybody involved in the fed so we don't have to worry about any conspiracy theories there's none of that going on nobody wants inflation everybody understands the evils of inflation and we want to keep it low and steady but as we try to solve other problems in our economy, as we try and, and help people with unemployment, as we try to stimulate the economy, as uh, some politicians want to uh, invest in infrastructure and all the other plans that, that President Biden has laid out there, those are very well-intended, sometimes very desirable policies, but we need to be careful that we don't completely ignore the secondary effects. And one of the big secondary effects is inflation. Right, let's hope that 
the administration is getting sound advice from economists like you that will tell them, okay, if we if we pump all this additional money into the economy, then these are the likely effects of that. Right. Well, as of yet, my phone hasn't rung from the White House, but uh, if it does, I'd be happy to give my economic advice. But yes, I agree. Let's let's hope that with the White House and President Biden and his advisors are very carefully listening to economists, listening to uh, some advice uh, that comes out of just very mainstream economics in terms of, hey, if you put that much money into the economy, you're going to get inflation. And, and therefore, maybe we don't need to put that much money into the economy. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's uh, I've heard it said before that history repeats itself. So what better indicator of the future than what's already happened in the past? So let's look in the past. Uh, when we raise taxes, what happens to the tax revenue coming into the government? What happens when we pump money into the economy? What happens to the economy when we make easy money? And we, I saw in the news uh, this week where the Fed is kind of indicating that they're going to ease up on the, the easy money policy that they've, they've had in the, in, the, in the recent past. So they, they're, they're giving signals now that they're going to start to try to rein in inflation. So that kind of leads to the next question. What are the what are the tools in the tool belt that, that the Fed will use to to rein in inflation? Well, the, the most uh, potent is what we call open market operations. And that's a fancy way of saying buying and selling bonds on the secondary market. So when the Fed buys bonds, it increases the money supply and it lowers the interest rate and it stimulates the economy. And when the Fed sells bonds, then it has the opposite effect. It decreases the money supply and raises interest rates. So I think you're going to see a shift from massive buying of bonds to a slow increase in selling those bonds, decreasing the money supply. Interest rates are going to go up. Right. So if you're thinking about taking out a loan right now, especially a 30-year mortgage on a house, now would be the time to do it because interest rates are going to go up over the next few months. And if you're looking to lock into a low rate, now is the time to do it. So we can all expect higher interest rates and the, the other tool that the Fed has at its disposal is paying interest on bank reserves. So the, the bank, and I'm going to grossly simplify here just for the sake of time, but the bank has reserves and they can either let those sit in reserve accounts with the Fed or they can loan them out. Well, the Fed pays the bank an interest rate on those reserves. And if the interest rate is low, then the bank has an incentive to lend them out to right. earn a higher return there. But if that interest rate gets moved up by the Fed, then the individual banks have a stronger incentive to leave it there. In other words, leave it out of the economy, right. not lend it out. And therefore, the Fed is likely to raise the interest rate paid on those reserves to create a stronger incentive for them not to be lent out. And that will be the other tool that they use to try to combat inflation. All right, Joe, that is, uh, we just got a lot of, uh, I won't say crazy economic news going on right now, but there's a lot happening in the economy. And uh, it just seems like things are really heated up and real frothy. We see the, the market very high and, and frothy. We see um, unemployment. We, you've explained that very well today. We've got the unemployment numbers remain high. But there's a lot of a lot of business owners looking for employees, so it's there's just not 
you don't see the flood of of people going back into the job market or, or entering uh, the job market again. So it's a it's an interesting phenomenon that I don't know that I've seen in the, in the past. So well, uh, we really haven't seen it, and that's what makes it so intriguing, right? Uh, I mean, it's just going to be fascinating to watch to see how these numbers play out over the next six months. So it's a great time to be studying macroeconomics. So I would just encourage everybody, just keep your eyes open, listen to the news. Again, the unemployment and the inflation numbers come out early in each month. So we're about ready to turn the calendar over to June. Right. So the first week of June, there'll be a, a whole bunch of reports coming out and that'll give us a little bit better idea of what's happening once we get the May numbers and we'll be able to maybe settle in on some trends and, and, and be able to predict the future more. But it's an exciting time. I mean, it's also uh, a little bit of a nerve wracking time, especially if you're one of those people who are unemployed, I can understand how this would be a, a very difficult period of time. But for those of us studying this, it's a great time. I mean, That's it's a great time. You, you may want to uh, write another book after this. So <laughs> just just as a uh, on the dates, I believe on the first Wednesday of the month, we have the ADP employment numbers come out. And then on the first Friday of every month, typically is the non-farm payroll numbers that come out. So be in yeah. tune for that. Those are the ones you're referring to. So we have been in the classroom with Professor Joe. So Professor Joe, thank you so much, man. This is so in just interesting stuff and it really applies theory to what we're seeing in the economy today as we live it, as we see it. So thank you for, for enlightening us, providing some enlightenment to the to the situation. Thank you so much. And I look forward to having you on many more future shows because you provide so much information and knowledge for us to think about. Well, I truly enjoy it. It's great being with you. I always enjoy our conversations. All right. You have been watching the Answers That Count podcast. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you so much. And remember, hit the subscribe button. I'll see you next time. Answers That Count. Peace.